Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today as we fidget around with our USB ports is Emily Kral, our Education and Events Coordinator. Welcome, Emily. A typical Friday with technical issues. So apparently, which uh, USB... Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> All right, well, a big change for the podcast this year is we're going to go to weekly episodes. So every Friday for your Friday or weekend enjoyment or whenever you like to listen to a podcast. That's the beauty of it. Um, so we're going to have uh, bi-weekly news updates just like you're used to and our monthly Faith in Life feature. We're going to continue and we're going to go a little bit old school and once a month have a, just kind of a deep dive feature into a specific issue that's not necessarily connected to any news topic, which that's how Life Beat, uh, the podcast, started back in the day. And uh, we're happy to go back there. All right. Well, a couple things to talk about today. We're going to talk about <clears throat> the dust that I just blew out of that USB port. Um we're going to talk about Planned Parenthood, uh, fessing up about abortion, kind of again. Um, we're going to talk about Lansing March and Souls events, uh, and by kind of by extension, you know, what happened this week, that news item that you might have seen. Uh, but let's start off and talk about the Hyde Amendment, Emily, because also this, was it this week that the Georgia Senate elections were held? Yeah, this is the longest That's, first week. <laughs> it seems like it was four years ago. Uh, happy 2021. <laughs> so uh, on Tuesday, uh, both Georgia Senate races were narrow wins for the Democrats, and that means that the Democrats in the U.S. Senate have a 50-50 split, and because the vice president is the tie-breaking vote in a 50-50 Senate, the Democrats have official control of the Senate. And they also have control of the U.S. House by just a handful of votes. So, Emily, that means Joe Biden can do whatever he wants. Sort Essentially, of. yeah. Sort of. But if he loses one senator in a couple, two, three, four representatives in the U.S. House, uh, then he can't do anything. And so that, those majorities, kind of unlike 2008, where President Obama came in with very large congressional majorities, um, Joe Biden has to keep his party nearly 100% unified to get anything done. Now, what are they going to do from the abortion issue perspective? The first thing they're going to try to do is get rid of the Hyde Amendment. And they already started trying. We talked about this last month when they started hearings mm -hmm. um, on getting rid of the Hyde Amendment. So this is something we've been talking about was going to happen if uh, they got control of the House and the Senate and the presidency. And uh, now we're in the position of looking at this is what's going to go down in the next few months. So uh, a couple things to know. The Hyde Amendment uh, bans most taxpayer funding of abortion on the federal level. Uh, it does allow women to have abortions paid for if their um, life is at risk, which never really happens that much. And uh, in the 90s, it was amended to allow um, taxpayer funding of abortions in cases of rape. Other than that, since 1976... 
The Hyde Amendment has been in place, and since about 1980, it's been in full effect. And that means that federal taxpayers haven't paid for abortion in 40-plus years. Now, on the state level, states can still use their own tax dollars to pay for abortion. Some states like California do. Michigan used to until 1988. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but states still can. But if the federal government can use tax dollars to pay for abortions, Emily, there's two big problems. Um, the first one, of course, is conscience rights. Uh, if abortion is an issue of choice and you want to force people who don't choose abortion to still participate, that isn't pro-choice, that's pro-abortion, and that is violating people's conscience rights. The second problem is when you fund something, you get more of it. So if you start funding abortions, as, we, as we've seen in Michigan, Emily, you're going to get a lot more abortions. Um, so uh, how long do you think it'll take for them to uh, <laughs> start? Now, just it is critical to point out that, so the Hyde Amendment is not a law. There's no law that says uh, that this uh, they can't use tax funding for abortion. What it is is it's an amendment added every year on the budget, on various spending bills. Uh, basically, it says the same thing, and it's just added in every time. And so uh, this is not something that can be filibustered in the United States Senate because you can't filibuster budget bills, at least according to the current Senate rules. Uh, so how long do you think it'll take for them to start holding hearings and start well, making Well, they already it? started holding <laughs> hearings. Before, well, we're in a new Congress now. All right, so inauguration is on the 20th. Something like that. So I am going to say that gives them a full week and a half, pretty much, almost two weeks uh, between the inauguration. This month, I think it's going to happen this month. It could happen real soon. It could. Um, and they might start talking about it. I think they're still going to be talking about President Trump right up until the second he leaves, because that's their thing. But uh, the second he's gone, I think that's what they're going to start talking about. Um, maybe even before they even address pandemic stuff. Because they have been gunning for this for a very long time, and they have not until now felt that they really had the ability to go after it. Um, so uh, just to detail that kind of second concern we talked about, in Michigan, when we ended tax-funded abortions in 1988, the amount of abortion, abortions job, uh, dropped 10,000 from 1987 to 1988. Um, that's a huge amount. There were about 50,000 abortions in the state, and a fifth, almost a fifth of them, more than a fifth of them, disappeared overnight. And when you look at that year and you project forward until now and if you consider that a fifth of abortions in Michigan aren't happening because of the Hyde Amendment you get a really rough estimate of about 244,000 abortions and I know we've said this in the podcast before and we're going to continue to say it many times that 244,000 people in Michigan are alive today walking around because of that law banning tax-funded abortions and if you take away the Hyde Amendment on the federal level, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of abortions that were paid for, like as happened right after Roe versus Wade in the mid-1970s when abortion numbers were skyrocketing. Uh, we may see an increase in abortions. You know, abortions have been going down since 1990. We could see the first real reversal of that trend. This goes through. So there's a ton of issues at stake here and a ton of lives. Um, 
So Emily, I, my sense is a lot of people are kind of depressed about the election and depressed nothing happened and, you know, with the voter fraud and everything and now depressed about the, uh, the, the riot in D.C. So, I, you know, I don't think a lot of people are just, you know, going to, to give up, especially since, you know, the, the amount of year-end donations we got was simply astounding. But I think there's some people who are feeling really in the dumps right now, Emily, but... You can't quit. You can't give up. It only takes a few. It only, it only takes a few loud voices. If you only need to get one senator and or you know one or two senators or you know two, three, four, five representatives to jump ship. Yeah, that's and, totally possible. And it it can be said, and it's proven truthful in the in the last twenty years, thirty years of American history, when the pro life movement has faced the most opposition is when we've really cemented a lot of pro-life gains. So during the Obama administration, the first few years there, when when the federal government really started pushing abortions and, and not just pushing it, trying to force people to pay for it um, with Obamacare and things like that, um, we found almost 600 pro-life laws passed by state legislators. So really... Um, what this is doing is it's once again forcing the states to really take responsibility for the pro-life movement and for saving lives. And here in Michigan, we've got a lot of opposition, but we have a whole lot of people who respect and want to protect life. And that's what we're going to do and we're going to continue to do. And, you know, two years and we might have a new governor who might not veto <laughs> every single piece of pro-life legislation so you know we've still got the house and we've still got the senate here in michigan and we've got hope and we've just got to carry on that's right you know that reminds me um when president obama was elected with giant majorities in congress he had promised planned parenthood the first thing he was going to do was to pass the freedom of choice act uh foca foca um well, he didn't pass that. Uh, that would be kind of like the law that New York had passed and a couple other pro-abortion states are passing where they get rid of all the pro-life laws and uh, formally legalize abortion up on demand for all nine months of pregnancy, not just make it a Supreme Court decision. Um, that didn't happen because people raised their voices. We had a petition drive campaign, um, you know, not a legal petition, but just an educational petition. Uh, and so we're going to have to do that again with the Hyde Amendment. And uh, just to segue into our talk about Planned Parenthood, Emily, um, I think this is an important way to think about this issue. So, abortion supporters' argument for getting rid of the Hyde Amendment is that it's unfair that uh, poor, disadvantaged women have to pay for abortions, whereas rich women can just go have abortions whenever they want. Um, Planned Parenthood. Okay, Planned Parenthood is the leader of the abortion movement. They are the number one abortion provider in the United States. Um, their profit in the last year, in the annual report, their fiscal year that includes 20 parts of 2018, parts of 2019, their profit, that is the amount of money that they had coming in over and above what they spent, revenue over expenses, was $110 million dollars. 110 million dollars. So now the average cost of an abortion is 400, 500 dollars. Let's call it 450 dollars. Um, you know, Planned Parenthood could pay for more than 200,000 abortions, and it would not affect their bottom line. 
and they could still pay all of their bills and provide all those other services, which Emily will discuss in a minute. Those 97% of other oh, services. Um, now think about this. Planned Parenthood is saying it's, it's, it's wrong, it's morally wrong and unjust that poor women should have to pay for abortions. Okay? Planned Parenthood is the number one abortion provider in the United States. Planned Parenthood's financial bottom line is uh, their profits are nine digits. The year before, it was $250 million profit. Planned Parenthood is the one charging these poor women for their abortions. Now, Emily, if you complain, if you have, if, if you're sitting on a pile of money that what you're taking dream. from poor women, oh, not a and dream. you're hectoring everyone else for not contributing to help these poor women pay for their abortions, and a great source of your revenue is that that's way above your expenses is charging these poor women for abortions. Is the word for that hypocrisy? Yes. Amongst other Amongst choice other. adjectives we might apply in this situation? It is the, the epitome of dishonesty, we can say uh, kindly. No, it's, it's completely ridiculous to even assume or, or believe that Planned Parenthood is there to provide for women when their actions, one, in taking human lives, and two, and especially about the Hyde Amendment thing, they don't, they're not there to, to provide health care for women like they are asserting. They want more abortion. Um, if taxpayers suddenly have to pay for these abortions, we already talked about the number of abortions is going to go up. We know this. And then if the number of abortion goes up, well, they're still charging the same amount for those abortion procedures. They're just charging someone else for it. So that amount of money that they are receiving, and they already receive, what, 560-some-odd million dollars in, in federal funding every year? Lots. More in, than half a billion. Insane amounts of money. So, And they, they want to take more. They don't want to... Um, they don't want to spend more money, they just want to get in more money. And it's, it's just, you don't truly care for people if you are making money off of their suffering. It's just, that's not how compassion works. If Planned Parenthood were Warren Buffett, they would be sending out emails to all the Berkshire Hathaway, Berkshire Hathaway employees, asking them to donate so he can afford some Christmas presents. Essentially, yeah. I mean, that's what Planned Parenthood, that's the only thing Planned Parenthood is really good at is, and, and you know, Emily is making this kind of money. And Emily, I if you use the me metaphor, maybe it's not entirely apt, but it's money laundering, you know? It's, you're, you're creating this demand for abortion. You're, you're charging poor women for abortions, and you're demanding that people give money to these poor women so they can afford abortions. And then you're just getting this money in, and then you're pumping it back out to these elected officials who are then giving you more money. I, I mean, it's kind of money laundering. Uh, yeah. I mean, but it's all legal because Congress approves it, uh, and, uh, you know, they put it in an annual report that we can look at and, <sighs> and see. So, Emily, 97%. Uh, okay, so I'm sure everyone has heard the line. Um that Planned Parenthood only 3% of our services are abortion. 
And uh, in their annual report, as we've documented in the past, they invent new services or they double count, triple, quadruple count services to keep that 3% intact. Um, they're too lazy to make it 4%, you know, or whatever in a year. They have to keep it at 3%. Uh, but now they don't need to do that anymore. No more creative accounting. No, I... The one, the phrase that keeps popping into my head about all of this, and we're going to talk about uh, a, an interview that um, um, Alexis Miguel Johnson, who is the president and CEO of Plant Parenthood, she did an interview with the Washington Post um, at the end of December. But they, they have used so long, they've tried to hide the fact that abortion is really the foundation of their model the foundation of their organization and of their business and it's really what is able to support everything that they do other than all of the tax funding and for years and years and years they've said that's not true abortion is a small part of what we do but we know that the truth eventually comes out and pro-life organizations for years and years have been talking about how the three percent number is ridiculous um yes you, there might be a woman who goes in and she wants to get an abortion, so first you do a pregnancy test, and that's one service, and then you do a blood test, that's another service, then you give her a little bit of, they call it pre-abortion counseling, but you can read up on the testimonies, it's really just, uh, you're having this abortion, and then let's see, you have the doctor consultation, and then, oh, maybe she needs a sucker at the end of the procedure because her blood sugar is very low. Oh, you know, so going in for one that's, abortion. That's what they were going to have to add to the annual report next. Seriously. They kept going, like, like cookie, cookie services. Cookie services. Uh, sucker services. It's ridiculous. But so they say that's how they got the 3% number. But now they are finally admitting, because it is so well known how completely ridiculous that number is, that abortion is is what Planned Parenthood does. So in this interview with the Washington Post, uh, Miguel Johnson, she, she said, um, Planned Parenthood is a proud abortion provider. So, okay, we've got the first thing. And really, it kind of feeds into the Hyde Amendment here as well because they're relabeling what they do as health care. So it's no longer safe, legal, and rare it's abortion is health care, and therefore we have to provide this health care. So um, she, she said in the interview, it's a critically important part of what we do. So I think that when we say it's a small part of what we do, we're actually stigmatizing it. So we have now finally, after years and years and years, Planned Parenthood is admitting that abortion is what they do, and they're proud of it. Um, and so... It's interesting. I like that she used the word, it's stigmatizing abortion. And the thing about stigmatizing is that it stigmatizing something is giving it the impression of being disgusting or dishonest or bad. And then when you look at abortion, well, you can't stigmatize abortion because abortion is taking a human life, which is inherently bad. So I think it's an interesting use of terminology she read in the interview. Um, if you if you are able to look at Washington Post and have a few of your three times you can view their their articles without having to pay, or if you have a subscription, um, the interview is very fascinating. Um, the terminology that she uses in it, and I would encourage you to read it because it's it's setting up the tactics and the language they're going to be using for the next few years. Yeah. 
you know, one more thing about the interview just before we close it out. So you can definitively say, you know, Planned Parenthood, you know, Leanna Wen, their previous president, who actually tried to get them a little bit away from abortion, fundamentally admitted it's one of their core services. Now they're not even going to say their 3% thing. No. Um, but one more little interesting thing in the interview, the reporter asked her, have you had conversations with folks in the anti-abortion movement? Do you reach across lines? And she said, well, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then she said, um, it's, and this is a quote, and it's kind of hard to have a conversation with someone who is anti-abortion, who is leveraging public dollars through crisis pregnancy centers to derail and impact someone who's made a decision to access abortion. So I'm open to having a conversation. I'm not open to not allowing people the freedom they need to make their own decisions. They went right for the money. I just, I can't. They went right for the money. She went right for the money. It's like all about money. I can't. These people at crisis pregnancies who leverage public dollars Wah. with the, of the crime to derail someone who's made a decision to act abortion. So, if a woman who thinks she wants an abortion goes into a pregnancy center and says to themselves, "Hey, they're telling me I can do this. They're pointing me all these other services. They're going to give me diapers and formula and clothing to help me out, and I want to do this now. This is great." Planned Parenthood president uh, Alexis McGill Johnson's response is not. Great choice. Hope that works for you. It's how dare you go to this organization leveraging our public. There's no R in the quote, but it's that's really what she's saying. There are public dollars to derail us. I mean you. Um, I just saw that and I thought the whole interview, it's just, who talks this way? It's the most ridiculous thing. I'm going to tear this up and throw it if it weren't highlighted. And All right. Um, I like highlights. It helps me remember the crazy things people say. There you go. I, I just remember. I was gonna. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm waiting to go off on that for a couple hours now. Well, a couple you... days now since I saw it. Oh, jeez. Who talks like that? Ah, the first thing they jump to is money. Um, well, the first thing that we jump to is not money, although every nonprofit organization, of course, needs donations to continue. Uh, but the first thing that we jump to is those women making those decisions because it's the child's life at stake. And uh, just to transition to our last topic, um, since 1973 now, we are up to 60 million abortions. And so uh, we absolutely want to derail Planned Parenthood so that these women don't feel pressured uh, into having these abortions. And uh, in January is the anniversary on the 22nd of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton. Uh, also, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is uh, is that the 17th? I believe it's the 17th. Yes, it is the 17th. Uh, right before it is just a time to celebrate uh, the value of life and talk about the sanctity of human life and really to remember and memorialize all these children whose lives have been lost. Um, you know, it's a hard number to make sense of that 60 million. Uh, if you take the population of the top 81 cities in America, that's 60 million people. And so it's like 81 cities full of people we've just gotten rid of. So we are going to be at the Michigan Capitol, Emily, peacefully mm -hmm. on Wednesday the 27th for a Lansing Memorial in March. 
Uh, Ingham, we are co-sponsoring Ingham County Right to Life's event this year along with Protect Life Michigan because so many people uh, can't or re it's really hard to go to the National March for Life, which is still happening. People are still going to be there. Uh, and a lot of affiliates are going to have their own events around Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. There's a lot of stuff coming up for you to get involved in and make a public witness. So I would just encourage you to go to our website, rtl.org. There's information about our Lansing Rally. There's information about the other local events. I'm pretty sure the bus trips are already booked up. You only have two affiliates still going. Uh, Grand Rapids Right to Life and Sanilac County Right to Life. Uh, so on either side of the state there. Um, but there's gonna be a lot of pro-lifers out and about talking about it and Emily so I think that's a good uh, example to talk about you know the riot inside the Capitol um, I thought just how I would talk about it is just to kind of share you know our experience so uh, Michigan in Michigan we don't really have a lot of events at the state capitol we really focus on our affiliates and let our affiliates have local events for their local people because we're a grassroots organization. Uh, from time to time, though, there's a reason for us to have a large statewide event. And the last one we did was a few years ago. We called it Life Lobby Day at the state capitol. And we uh, legally booked a room inside the Michigan capitol, which, uh, thank God, and hopefully remains open uh, in normal times to the public. Um, you can just walk right in and it's the people's house and it's great. Um, so we had an event in there and the goal was we were trying to lobby our legislators to pass a pro-life bill that we really wanted them to focus on before the end of the year. Um, and so we booked this room. Uh, we were going to have different sessions so different people would be coming in and we could accommodate all the people that were going to show up. But Emily, um, our event got... I don't know what you want to call it, a little uh, crashed mm -hmm. by a couple thousand union people. So yeah, that was not happy union people. Either. No, that was during the right to work uh, legislative debates. And I remember sitting up in our room, getting ready for our first training and looking out and down a road that you can see out of the window of the Capitol. There were about 50 state police trooper cars lined up and state troopers streaming into the building. So, um, so I've been in a instance where activists, if you want to call it, have taken over a Capitol building. Uh, the unions did not have uh, permits that I'm aware of to be there. They just all filed into the Capitol building. Um, you know, as it happened, that was a. I, I won't. I won't. Use, I'm not using this ironically. That was a mostly peaceful event. Um, there was some pushing and shoving on the grounds outside of the Capitol. Um, but inside the Capitol, there is just a ton of people. They're just standing around. They didn't try to go in the legislative uh, chambers. Uh, I was walking up and down the stairs, collecting people and directing them. We had good conversations. Um, a little scary. I told my wife to turn around and not come to the event because she was pregnant and who knows what's going to happen. But uh, it, it wasn't bad and we kind of enjoyed it because we were able to have conversations with a bunch of union people about the abortion issue. Um, and it was safe. And so, you know, pro-life events, Emily, I think the critical difference between ours and all these uh, riots that you see throughout the year, um, whether it's Black Lives Matter or Antifa or, in this case, uh, the, the Trump rally on Wednesday, um, I think the difference is a pro-life event, you can see everyone. No matter what our event is, uh, there's usually going to be 
Uh, there's usually a baby or two, uh, some small children, uh, you know, some students in college. Most of us are, you know, going to be 30s, 40s, and 50s. There's some older people, uh, predominantly women, I would say, at these events. But really, it's a spectrum of everybody. And unlike, you know, these riots where it's a lot of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, um, you know, we're just a slice of everybody. And Rights Life Michigan has never had an event go bad. And I don't think we ever will. Kind of a bold prediction, but that's how we roll. Well, uh, our entire purpose of having our events is to respect and honor life. And that is an inherently peaceful and non-confrontational environment. That's right. So I think we'll be okay. I think we will too. So go to our website, rtl.org, for more information. I hope to see you in Lansing on the 27th. That's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again next week. Have a wonderful weekend.